This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is probably supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. And welcome again to Cottage Talk. I am Russ Goldman. Joining me right now is Mike Gregg. This is a very special episode of Cottage Talk. It's entitled The State of Foam, 10 Years of Shah Khan Ownership. Mike and myself will be talking about the season upcoming for Fulham and where we feel Fulham are at this point. But it's all going to be leading up to talking about the ownership of Shah Khan for the past 10 years. That's how we're going to end the show. And as always, please do subscribe on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. It does help other film supporters find us. Before I go on any further, it's been a long time. I want to welcome back my co-host to the show, who's now in Ireland. Mr. Greg, how are you doing? Thank you so much for joining me tonight. Yeah, hi, Russ. It's uh, good to be on the show. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, getting back into the seat and uh, talking about what's going on at Fulham. Although, as you mentioned, from afar now for myself. So, uh, so, yeah, I'm uh, looking at it from across the water in Ireland, um, but trying to get to see a game or two, certainly over the season. But uh, as we know, in the modern age, you can follow Fulham or any football team pretty much any, anywhere in the world. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to this evening. Okay, great, Mike. And listen, I've got some really interesting topics for us to go through. This is really a reflection on the season upcoming and then of course really looking back at 10 years of ownership of Shah Khan it's been 10 years and I want to want to see where we feel Fulmar right now and where they could be heading in the future so let's get going let's talk about this season upcoming and the way to look at it and I thought this is a great way to talk about it is we have to focus on the summer transfer window and compare it to last season I think this is the way to do this so here's the topic for you Mike did Fulham improve, get worse, or stay the same coming out of the summer transfer window compared to last season? Okay, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it was a difficult summer, wasn't it, really? And I know I was you know, pretty critical of the speed of our transfers. Surprise, surprise. Um, but let's look at it. You know, we knew the season last year was going really well. February, March time, it was pretty clear 
we weren't going to get relegated and um, you would have hoped plans were in place for us to uh, give Silver what's required to improve on what was a magnificent season in many ways last year and, uh, and you know, hit the ground running and, you know, look to consolidate that top half, really, you know, uh, in the Premier League and not worry about the bottom. You know, but we had to wait until July for our first signings. And, you know, again, we left it to the, pretty much the wire. We had the whole Mitrovic saga going on. And, um, yeah, it's... I would have said, so we kicked off, I was really just disappointed. You know, if you're the first game or two and you're still playing the starting 11 from last year, 11 players or even 10 players from last year, have you made any steps forward? You know, have you improved? And we needed to improve. Now, I know there's a big turn this year against stats, absolutely. But even your own eyes could see last year that, you know, Leno was saving his game after game. And, you know, yeah, we were scoring. It was exciting stuff, but we were under the cosh a lot. And so really everything pointed to the fact that, you know, we we had weaknesses and we needed to to improve. Now, if you just went, we haven't got time, you could go through it, signing by signing, position by position. Right. Um, you know, goalkeeper-wise, we've stayed the same. Right back, I think we have improved, actually. You know, Castang yeah. from Leicester, I think is, you know, could even eventually be the main right back. Um, you know, we bought a couple of interesting wingers, Torori and... Uh, you know, where he'll be from Everton, but, you know, he's going to be one of those players, 100 miles an hour, good game, bad game, good game, you know. And the biggest thing, though, isn't it, Russ, let's be honest here, is defence fairly solid. It's improved maybe as a, the number of players we've got and, and the quality. Although if you're still relying on Ream as being your first name down, have you improved enough? You know, great player that he's, you know, but it will catch up with you. And then you're into midfield, and we had the Polini transfer saga as well, but at least he stayed and, you know, hasn't affected him, you know, performance-wise, that's for sure. Uh, but midfield-wise, are we any stronger? I'm, I'm not convinced there. Uh, out wide, you know, yes, we, um, you know, we brought in Tarori. He's one of those, again, Whenever he played against us, he scared the lot. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, is he going to be someone who's, who's going to push a start in 11? And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it is difficult. It's, but we get to the front, and we get to Mitrovic, and we get no more Mitrovic. He's gone. And we have three strikers now. And do all three of them added together equal up to Mitrovic? And I have to say, no, they don't. I totally and, agree, Mike. And while we're keeping some clean sheets and the games games are tight, I just I, I worry about where we we have enough goals in us and can we get through to January in a decent position? It could be this year that you know the old adage that there's three worse teams than us. There certainly is. There's more than yeah. work free, and you know we're and we're a decent team. We are a decent team. It's just. I think the lack of goals and so the failure 
to get a striker in, um, a, a top quality striker, uh, is is down is is down to the transfer team at Fulham. You know, be it Tony, Alistair. You know, some people will turn around and say, "Well, Silver said he didn't want a striker unless he was better than any of the three we had." But we should be in a position where we finished in the top half of the Premier League and be able to go and find those strikers. And even for, you know, they should be there. They should be there for us to look for. You know, if we, if we can't find them, we're not looking hard enough. And, um, you know, we got the money. So that's another question that comes on, comes on later. So, so are we better than last year? I would say we've just stood still. At best, we've stood still because losing Mitrovic negates what we've done in improving the, you know, the back four. Uh, because I don't think winger-wise we're any better, really. Um, so, so yeah, it's a you know, at best maybe a six or seven out of ten if you're looking back at it. We've started well, and. Um, you know, but none of those players have really put their stamp on a uh, position yet. So we're still relying on lots of players from last year. Uh, so, so yeah, very disappointing considering where we finished last year. And late to the party again on transfers. That's not a surprise, Mike. That's been a theme for I don't know how many years. And we'll be talking about that during this show because that's been a constant theme. But I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to say... I thought you did a really good job of breaking down to where that they've improved and where they've basically have lacked. And it goes back to the striker position. I really want Raul Jimenez to work out, Mike. I like Vinicius. I think he does offer Fulham something. I, I actually thought Muniz played well in that cup match, but it's not what they had with Mitrovic. Can they make up the difference? I don't think they can, but we'll see if they can. But like you mentioned, if if you balance everything out, I've come to the same conclusion. They stayed the same. And that to me is a disappointment, Mike, because you get this money from Mitrovic, right? If you look at it, and I think people have broken it down, they spent a little money because again, they spent money on Calvin Bassey. They spent money on Awobi. They did spend money on Castagna. So it's not like they didn't spend money, but they did not go above and beyond where I thought they would go, Mike. I expected them to spend a decent amount of money knowing that they were not really under any FFP pressure this season. They could spend money, Mike. So you have that money from Metro, and then you have, I thought, a decent amount of money to spend on top of that, and they just didn't do that, Mike. And I go back to the whole striker thing. I was told by someone that... uh similar to what you said that about the whole Metro thing or that Marco was happy with the strikers that he has, that he's not putting up a fuss, Mike. And I have a hard time buying that. I really do, Mike, because Fulham are not at the same level without Metro. I, I hope Jimenez comes good. I, I think that he's going to score some goals, but they're not better, Mike. And I think that's a disappointment we always talk about this, and you're going to agree with me. When you're in the Premier League, you can't stand still. Mike, they're standing still. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Jimenez, 
He's 32. Should he be the main striker replacing someone who's, you know, been doing so well well for us over the last few years? And, um, you know, Munez, I really like him. I really, he has something, but he's got to show it, you know. And the problem is, you know, a 10-minute cameo here and there is not, not going to do it for him. Um, but I'm losing a little bit of faith in him because I'm not seeing it really when he's when he's out there. Vinicius, I'm I'm not a big fan of. Um, I know a lot of people do like him, and I suppose they like him in many ways because he's he has the same build, if you like, of Mitrovic. Maybe you know he's that sort of big number, you know, big number nine, I'll call it. But um, but I just think the all three of them, as I've said, added up together, and I also think because they're slightly different, all of them we fall into a trap of we're not really sure how we're playing for a striker, if that makes sense. Okay, yeah, so we've had Mitrovic, everything revolved around him, and now we have three different players, all with slightly different skill sets, I think, and um, and so we're having to adapt every time that changes, which I think is one reason why he wants, uh, you know, he's having Raul play up there uh, consistently. I mean, I was surprised he wasn't in the squad the other night. Um, but, uh, you know, I think he's got faith in him. And hopefully, you know, Sil Silver has shown he's a good manager and he can get extra out of players. And and if he finds that he can uh, get something from him and get him scoring, then all, all the better for us. But um, uh, yet to be convinced. <laughs> Frank. Okay. Uh, no, very good there, Mike. And when I look at this, like I said, you know, you and I have talked a great deal. I saw this as a wonderful opportunity for Fulham to not just basically try to match what they did last season, but maybe kick on. And I just thought this was a lost opportunity. That's the way I'm looking at it coming out of this. So that's why one of the reasons why I'm calling it the state of Fulham. Where are they now? Where are they going? So that's going to lead to my next question, Mike, because I don't have the answer for this. What is the ambition of the club? Are they looking just to be a mid-table club? Are they looking to be better than that? Listen, someone told me, a source told me that Marco Silva wants Fulham to someday be in the Champions League. Well, this isn't the way to do it, Mike. Someday, not now, but someday. So what is the ambition of the club? Where do you think it is? So I think the summer window tells you a lot about the ambition, which is... Um, the ambition isn't one isn't there to push on, okay? Because we we yes we spent a little bit of money here and there, but it was I haven't got the tables in front of me, but I'm pretty sure we were in the bottom four or five on actual spend, um, you know. And, and what does ten fifteen million get you now for a Premier League player? I mean, it's a pretty bog standard player, and if you're going to push yourself up, then uh, you know you need to be looking at players. We're going to cost more than that, unfortunately. So, uh, so yeah, it's a it's a is a missed opportunity. I re I really do believe that we had um, the the core of a good team, and we we haven't built on it. So, you know, even if we finish nine, ten, eleven this year, that's great. But it's is it progression to last year? Not really. Um, and Silver's ambitious. You know, he he wants to manage at the highest level he wants to be playing the big games and the only way we're going to do that is by investing in players so the question 
really is why didn't they do it? so then you have all you know the rumors that are there bubbling around certain people have been pushing it for a while is that uh, the club is open to offers to be sold so you know so they don't want to spend too much just enough to keep them up and uh, maybe maybe that was the ambition uh this year is to just keep things bobbing along and uh be in a position where you can put the for sale sign or show the prospective buyer around and say we're a premier league team and uh and possibly there's an argument there but i, I just don't think the summer showed any ambition to push forward I totally agree, Mike. And I'm glad that we're talking about this subject because uh, I actually had someone message me and tell me outright, Fulham are not for sale. If you go to the notes of the uh, Fulham Supporters Trust meeting with Fulham recently, Alistair McIntosh reiterates Fulham are not for sale. However, I'm hearing things, Mike, you're hearing things that contradict that. Their actions, Mike, tend to contradict that for me. Okay. Now, the only other thing I can think of is maybe they're looking for a minority partner. Maybe. But again, I don't know if this would be the way to go about that. So what I've come to the conclusion is that they don't have any ambition right now. For whatever reason, I don't know why. Could it be what we're talking about? I'm not sure. But for me, I came out of this window saying it was fine, but it lacked ambition. It sounds like you totally agree with me on that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, um, I know we're going to talk about stuff later, but, uh, you know, this Khan has kept the club going. He's put an awful lot of money in. If you look at the share sort of uh, conversions, you know, this club costs a lot of money for him to run. And uh, I suppose another thing to sort of think about with regards Fulham, uh, you know, is Shahid Khan, you know, he does own a club, but he is 73. You know, I, mean, I know billionaires go on to their 90 or whatever but you know is he looking at some stage to rein it all in you know and uh, right and, and slow down his his actual day-to-day business running and then you look at who is the potential person to take over uh, and that would be tony but yep. tony has his hands in seven other different pies and you know so is is the interest still there? You know, is the real day-to-day, you know, want to make it as best as we can desire by the calm still there? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But the the set, it, a club doesn't have to be up to, you don't have to put it, it's up for sale, do you? You know, literally, the word just has to go out. Right. If, if anyone's interested, you know, it's a, have a conversation type stuff. Um there's other things, you know, there is uh, the amount of, it looks as if they're just trying to squeeze every possible penny out of the club, out of the fans at the moment and out of sponsors at the moment. I mean, if you go, if you go on the website page and look at the official partners. Oh, I know. <laughs> it's That's crazy, massive. Mike. It's massive. Um, now, if I was one of those partners, I would wonder actually what I'm getting for my money because I'm just getting lost in, in the in the forest of sponsors. You know, I think it's better to have five good quality sponsors than twenty five. 
you know. So is there an issue with cash flow? Is there an issue with just bringing in as much money as we can, be that from sponsorship, be that from fans, which we'll talk about later? Yeah. Um, and the lack of spending in the summer, which to me all points to some kind of financial um I'm not going to say problem. Problems is the wrong word, but some kind of constraint in spending, and uh, and also looking at tips, getting every penny they possibly can. Which again, people will turn around and say it's a business, shouldn't be lost. You know, we're not going to lose, shouldn't lose money as we are. But that is the way of a football club, <laughs> right? You know, so. No, very good, Mike. And that's going to lead us to talk about this because I think this is an interesting topic that goes along with the ambition. Does the club have a long-term plan? Now, the way I'm going to pose this, I'm going to ask you, I don't think that they do. It's funny. I'm going to mention this. I'm not comparing Fulham to Newcastle United, but I did watch We Are Newcastle United. I'm not a fan of the ownership of who they are, of who they represent. I'm going to put that aside. I just watched everything that they have done to have a plan and potentially execute it. And that I found interesting when I compare it to what I see with Fulham, I don't see this long-term plan. I'm going to tell you why I don't see this long-term plan. Mike, the average age of the squad screams to me, no long-term plan. When you bring in players that at one point they were against bringing in over 28. And now it seems almost every player is 27 and above, except for maybe a few like Calvin Bassey. Most of the players are older, Mike, that they're bringing in, that they're bringing into the club. And you have some youngsters that are on the fringes, but is there a pathway to getting into the first team to playing regularly? I would hope so. But I don't see this long-term plan for foam football. It goes back to, are they trying to kick on or are they just trying to survive, Mike? Do they have a long-term plan? I don't think they do. Um, no, I don't think they, they have, to be honest. And uh, towards the end of the transfer window, I did mention how old some of the signings were and how old the average age of, age of the squad was. And um, I was a bit concerned we were going down the road, fully down the road of the summer when the Khans took over. Feels um, like it. Yeah, we didn't quite get into that position we're in a slightly better position now um but i you know i i look at that that squad and yeah you know there, there are players there who maybe have you know 27 is not too old but certainly once you start getting to 30 31 32 who, who's coming through so again someone turned around and say well luke harris is in the squad all the time but they were looking to loan out Luke, you know Yep. Uh, and that was pulled at the last minute. You look at the defence, we saw a couple of guys in, in the US during the summer and a couple of pre-season friendlies. But when push comes to shove, you know, the main first-team squad of defenders, the youngest is 23, you know. So there's no one there really pushing to be a right-back or centre-back for in that team. Um, and then you look at the midfielders, okay, if you count Harris, He's 18. Um, Francois is 23. He's been getting on the bench again. But then your next one is 27. That's so right, we, have a, we have a real, real gap. And it's the same in forwards. You have Munez, who's 22. Um, 
and then you're up to 26, 27 with the other guys as well out wide. So I, I don't know whether they're in a transitional period or whatever with regards to planning or whether it is just the case, the old adage that Silver or whoever is the manager doesn't really care about youth. It, it is getting results on the pitch in a Premier League game. And what's happening below in the youth teams, yeah, it's nice if there's a player who comes on who's that extra special. But really, they don't care. They just want results now. You know. So long-term plan, that's where a director, a proper director of football on the ground at Mossberg Park can plan ahead. So you have your first-team player, you have your reserve first-team player, then you go down to the under-21s, 23s, whatever, down to 18s, and so on and so on. And so you should have a progression, a list of this is the 16-year-old right back, this is the 18-year-old, and so on and so on and so on. I don't see that. That's for sure. I don't think anyone does. Um, you, you see some of the, the youngsters, they're really good, um, but no one is really progressing and getting into the, into the squad. Um, Jay Stansfield, it would have been great to see him stay. Maybe he's going to learn a lot more in uh, Birmingham, you know? And he's certainly getting all the plaudits there. But how great would it have been to actually have kept him? Mike, can I just tell you that I've watched Jay play? I watched his last match. And I got to tell you, he was the best player on the pitch. He was that good in that nil-nil draw. And uh, he was playing the number 10 role. And uh, the Birmingham City supporters are upset because they want him to be the striker. And in, for whatever reason, they went with Scott Hogan. And, and uh, it didn't work out. And they're clamoring for him to be the striker but I gotta tell you I was very impressed with Jay Stansfield I think this is a good move for him and hopefully it'll be a good move for Fulham but when you look at it is there a pathway like you mentioned Luke Harris was not going to be included like the reports are they just couldn't find it another midfielder so they could send him out on loan so that fell through I think at the last minute so you look at this and I'm just seeing an older squad, and I'm just seeing a, a squad that's living year to year. Now, that's okay, but for some, I want them to build something, and I, I just don't see that pathway to building, Mike, and I think that's what concerns me. The next topic I think really concerns me, okay, because, listen, this might be a factor in this. Marco Silva might be a factor in just wanting a really competitive Premier League club. Maybe that's one of the reasons why the age is a – a little bit older. However, what is the future of Marco Silva, Mike? And why do you think he has not signed a new deal yet? This, to me, is a huge story that we're kind of pushing aside because the season has begun. This is a cloud hanging over Fulham Football Club. I don't care what anyone says. Until this gets resolved one way or another, this is going to hang over Fulham Football Club because I don't think we know what his future is. And I would feel so much better if he had signed a new deal. He's not, he's probably doing the right thing for himself, Mike. But what do you think is the future of Marco Silva? Well, I mean, as, as long as we're staying up, I hope it's with us. But yeah, the longer his contract runs down, the easier it will be for him to move. And he will be on everyone's list if they sack a manager. I'm, I'm absolutely sure of that. And the only reason I can think he hasn't signed is if we've offered him a contract, um, it's because he's not happy with what's he's, what he's being offered or he's just not 
happy with the direction of travel of, of the club. Um, he will stay there. He's in a job. He's getting paid. His, his, his name is there. And he's getting results as well and good press. So, you know, and I think he generally likes it at Fulham. Um, and he's getting, he has, he certainly has more of a say than some of the managers in the past. You know, you can tell that by just some of the players who have arrived, right. you know, links to links to his home country and that kind of thing. Um, it could be tomorrow he signs a contract, but I have to say everything I keep being told is he's not going to sign a contract. And I would have thought the earliest he would do it is probably February. He'd want to get January out of the way. Is he supported in January to push on for the last few months, whatever position we're in? Um, or again, does it go back? Does he know potentially the club could be sold? So he's waiting to see who comes in. You know, it's a, it really is difficult. But I, given everything that's gone on, there, there has to be doubt in his mind to not sign a contract. What manager would not sign a contract in a team that, He's got promoted, kept him up in style pretty much last year. That's right. And and we are where we are now. And, you know, it just makes sense to sign a contract. So why isn't he? So it must be that he has an issue somewhere. And that's kind of where I am on this, Mike, because I thought by now he would have signed a contract. Now, as you mentioned, everything is up to him. All the leverage, as we would say over here, is with Marco Silva. He is calling all the shots now. It's the end of his contract, so he can dictate whatever he wants at this point. And, you know, more power to him because it's up to him now, but what does he know? What doesn't he know? What doesn't he have coming in that he's concerned about? I don't know. And and that's what's interesting about all this. But like I mentioned, for me, this is such a, a huge thing hanging over the club's head. And... Maybe he's just waiting, like you said, to January to see what they do. But I thought he would just be waiting for over the summer, Mike. And uh, he still hasn't signed a contract. So I hope he does. And, Mike, I'll just ask you, you've been watching Fulham for a very long period of time. Where would you rank him in managers that you've seen? I mean, he's definitely up there. I'm always going to be a a Tiganar fan, I think. And uh, Mickey Adams, that kind of thing, Roy. But, you know, second or third for sure, you know. Um, so he, I do like his football, absolutely. And uh, it, it's not as possession heavy as Jukanovic. Um, but uh, we can keep the ball as well, but we're just that bit quicker going forward, you know. Right. And, uh, and yes, it leaves us open at the back, but it's exciting football. You know, as well. It is. So, um, yeah, he's definitely up there. Absolutely, no doubt. Okay, and I agree with you, at least for my period of time. I, I start with Roy, and uh, he's behind Roy for me. And I was a big fan of Savisa, but I think he's a better manager. And uh, I want him to be a foam football club for a long period of time. And I was hoping he would sign. And that would be a, basically a sign for me that there was a long-term plan. I guess that's where I'm going on this, Mike, is that until he signs, I don't see the direction Fulmer going. I just see them basically just going season to season instead of building. I think he would be a huge building block for Fulmer for moving forward. So 
this uncertainty has actually uh, been uh, a concern for me, and I think it should be a concern. We'll have to see how this all plays out. Okay, Mike, let's move on. Let's talk about decision-making when it comes to building the squad and the transfers. And what's interesting about this, before I go to you, I referenced this once. I'm going to reference it again that I uh, read the notes from the Fulham Supporters Trust meeting with the club and Alistair McIntosh, I'm paraphrasing, mentioned when it comes to transfers, Marco Silva and Tony have to agree on transfers. The two of them have to agree on transfers and that Tony is involved daily in regards to business, transfer business. He is involved daily. So let's keep that in mind. So who do you think is involved in in this decision-making process when it comes to transfers and building the squad? Uh, So I think, you know, the four people, Khan Senior, Tony, Silva and Alistair are all involved in their own way. Okay. Now, if I get an email from, if I'm Tony Khan, I'll get an email from Alistair uh, during the day saying, well, we've had a, you know, a transfer request from X or we've put, you know, we've put that bid in. We spoke about the other day. Um, is that involved? <laughs> if I open the email and read it, you know, <laughs> it, the, he is running what he's running and he loves it, doesn't he? He loves the wrestling. You can see it. It's his real, real passion. He probably finds an hour, a day, whatever, uh, to look at Fulham. I don't believe it would be much more than that, given how much, you know, the wrestling seems to take up. But the fact, we've already spoken about it. We didn't push on. We didn't bring in players early enough. And we didn't spend much in in terms compared to other teams. Right. So does that tell you Silver is fully involved? A a manager who wants to be in the Champions League? if they have, if him and Tony have to agree, then is is that the roadblock? Is because Tony's giving him players he doesn't want, or even Silver's giving Tony players he doesn't want. Hence, you end up with half a dozen players, you know, of of whatever level they're at. Um, when the manager at certain times was talking about, you know, I need seven or eight. You know, if you lose nine right. or ten, who go out, and yet he gets nowhere near that number. And and so I do think, as I said earlier, Silva has more of an input. You know, you look at Polini, uh, you look at Piera, uh, Raul as well. The Wolby. You know, yeah, yeah. So he's definitely, he's clearly got influence and in the decision-making, um, you know, and he's, the rules on the age thing have, have been broken uh, by him as well. So it's definitely um, has a say, but he clearly doesn't have the only say. And so it looks to me as if Tony and Alistair certainly uh, being the bean counter and being the the stats guy, if you like, are the ones who who make the call, the final call. Maybe Alistair doesn't make a footballing decision, but just purely from a financial decision. Right. It's interesting, Mike. And and I know we've already talked about this, but I want to just go back to this. You brought this up and I find this part 
interesting because I agree with you on this. A director of football should be involved each and every day, not just one hour a day, Mike, but the entire day working on a long-term plan and seeing that plan through and following that plan from the youth level all the way up to the first team and building your plan for next season, the season after, and three or four seasons after that. And I think Tony, I believe Tony loves Fulham Football Club. I'm going to say that. But he has a passion for AEW. Rumor here is he might buy another wrestling organization to go along with AEW. He's partnered already with a wrestling organization, and the rumor is he might buy that. So could that make it even more difficult for him to spend time on Fulham Football Club? I don't know, but I think Fulham deserves nonstop attention as a director of football, and I just don't think we're getting that. He can have all the passion in the world, love the club, but we need someone that's only thinking of Fulham Football Club, Mike. And if he's part of the decision to bring in transfers along with Marco, if this is true, how much time is he really spending knowing if this is the right player for Fulham Football Club? And that, to me, is a concern. I'm not just talking about bringing in the player for this season long-term. How can he work out for Marco four years down the road? That's the way I'm looking at it, Mike. And again, I'm not trying to really go at Tony looking at it as a passion because I do believe he loves the Fulham Football Club. I, I believe that. But I think we need someone that's going to be looking at Fulham for his entire day. And I think he'll agree with me on that, Mike. Uh, yeah, totally. And, um, I've, you know, I've, I've been on this show before when I've said, you know, I've met Tony maybe three, four times. And, you know, he, he's been uh, good enough to, you know, spend well over an hour one-on-one -on -one just chatting Fulham stuff. And, yeah. you know, he has a passion and, he, you know, he does know his stuff. But that was even before the wrestling, you know. So, I, you know, I, I would give him benefit of the doubt before on the, on the fact that okay you're based in america um but i can tell you know you do know every player that we've got you know xyz whatever um but it's different now it's different now and to, we need there's two things we need a director of football at mosfer park on a daily basis just to you know nod watch just be around answer questions straight away you know not wait for the email not wait for the time zones all that kind of stuff and then transfer wise you know if he is signing these off what's he looking to sign it off on is he basing it all on stats is he watching two or three matches of a player or you know video uh, clips how long is he spending time doing that so you know, and which a proper director of football or someone looking at transfers should be doing. And I just don't know how he fits it in on his day. So right. I'm in the, I've been in the camp for a while now where, you know, yeah, great, Tony, you, you know, you love the club, you're very passionate, everything's 100 miles an hour. Um, but step aside, get someone else, you know, That's get someone the else. The same thing I'm there. saying, Mike. 
and again, this isn't about loving foam or caring about foam. I just think that it would be the right thing to do for him to completely concentrate on AEW and his passion for there. Where he's building something pretty big. So give foam to someone that can has the proper amount of time to spend it. It's not about your ability when you do your job. It's about the fact that you simply do not have enough time to fully do what we probably need you to do. And it's that, it's, it's that part of it. I just think that there are not enough hours in the day. And like you mentioned, Mike, I think it's important to have someone in Mossberg park. I, I want to just mention that. I agree with you hundred percent. There should be someone there. And nothing against Tony, but he's based here in America. And like I said, he has other interests. I think it's time, I'm going to agree with you, to have someone in place at Mossburg Park as a director of football. Now, I, I know mean, that's just I mean, the way just, I see it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, nowhere near on the same scale or anything, but it's been quite, you know, so I've moved to Ireland. I'm still working for the same company I've worked for for the last 15 years. But I spent 15, 14 and a half of those years working in the office. You know, even during COVID, I was I was the one who ran in the office. So now I've spent the last, you know, five months working remotely. So I'm not in that office environment anymore. I'm not seeing, you know, the staff on a daily basis. And it is different. It is different. You know, you know body language. You don't know how, how people are really you know, feeling or, you know, you get a message from someone else or so-and-so is looking a bit down, maybe give them a call, all that kind of stuff. So that's just from where I am remotely. Right. You know, um, and so Tony is not standing there on the balcony at Mosfer Park watching the under-18s kick the ball around or, you know, any kind of conflicts they're having with anyone else, you know. So that's, that's my issue. That's okay. much. And I agree with that, Mike. You know, it's funny – you and I are fans of baseball. Let's take a director of football, general manager, right? General manager travels with the baseball team. He's there on a day-to-day -day basis. He's always trying to think of ways to improve that baseball team. You're New York Mets, my Boston Red Sox, right? And it's a full-time job, similar to director of football. And I just think that at this point, for Tony, I think it would benefit him to pass along the baton to someone that can be there on a day-to-day -day basis and could do what you just said, Mike. I, I don't think that's going to happen, but I just think it would be best actually for Tony to concentrate on AEW and build that empire, which could be getting bigger and bigger. So that's the way I look at it. And I'll just say one last time for Tony, I believe his passion for foam football club. It's not about that. It really is about trying to concentrate on having a full-time director of football that's actually at Mossberg Park. I think that would be beneficial for the club. That's the way I'm looking at it. Okay, Mike, let's move on. Coming up next, we're going to talk about the whole situation with the Manchester United tickets, and we'll end with one big topic. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. 
Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Okay, Mike, we have a couple topics to end the show, and this has been a huge topic on social media. It's everywhere. It's the pricing for the Manchester United tickets, and it's difficult for me because I am so far away, and I will not be at Craven Cottage to see a match. But I certainly can understand ticket prices and, and how expensive they can be. And when I look at fans who want to go to the games and are priced out of them, that is uh, disappointing for me. And this, to me, has been going on for a while now. But now it's just it's gotten to the point where something has to be done about this because the ticket prices for the Manchester United match are extremely high, Mike. And I think this could be a situation where it could go to the next level with the foam supporters. I have seen a lot of people upset about it in the past. I think this might be the one to take it over that line, Mike. I want to get your thoughts about this ticket situation because I I think this is uh, about as bad as I've seen foam supporters talk about when it's come to ticket pricing. I know that they can get people to buy the tickets, but what about the fans, Mike? They should be coming first here. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, it's a big subject, absolutely big subject, one that comes up on a regular basis every year, for sure. Um, the ticket prices for Man- Manchester United. Now, for whatever reasons, whatever you think about Man United, Man City, Newcastle, Man United are the biggest club in the country. There's, there's no two ways about it, you know, historically and um they are the biggest pool you know i've been to fulham fulham man new games sat behind man united fans i'll say foreign man united fans following their particular player with their camera and then as soon as the guy is subbed switch the camera off get up and leave you know because they're just there they're they're not even following the club in many ways they're following their player but it's man united i've got man united top and all that kind of stuff so this is the game where they're always going to stick stick the prices up. And you're right. The prices for this one are just astronomical. Now, it is it, this comes on top of the, in some cases, massive rises in season ticket prices. In my case, it was an 18%. 18%, rise. Mike. Yeah. 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 So... You look at that and they come back and say, you know, we, we need it. We want sustainability. Well, I'm sorry, but for the fans to make any indent into the Premier League team's sustainability plans, you've you're probably got quadruple prices to make any kind of, you know, real dent into the finances. So it's a pinprick of what we turn over. Okay. Um, and you look at those, the problem now is, so I've moved and I've kept my season ticket, okay, on the basis that if I'm if I'm lucky enough to get over and see us play four or five times, it might balance out because when you look at the price of a ticket to sit where, where I sit now, 
Um, I think it was £77 or something for the Man United game. So it's, you know, that's just ridiculous. And um, what's happening is for that game, Alistair, because Alistair's the decision maker, okay, yep. um, he micromanages elements of that club which people don't understand. They are just trying to squeeze every penny out of every seat, okay? Irrespective of whether you're a Fulham fan, Man United fan, uh, someone just passing, you know, whatever, they just want to sell it at the X amount of price. They right. don't care. They don't care about legacy. Don't care um, about a father who wants to take his 10-year-old son to a game for the first time, you know. Um, it is all about, as I said earlier, just, just bringing money in. They they don't care. They literally don't care. There is the Hammersmith end. Behind the Hammersmith end is a crush. Facilities are piss poor. Um, the obsession with the Riverside stand, which, again, is a complete and utter fiasco, um, is detrimental to the rest of the ground as well and the fans. So, yes, we all knew the Riverside stand and the seats would be expensive. I don't think we thought they'd be that expensive, maybe, but they certainly are. Um, and I have to say, I haven't sat in there twice. While it's a great view, safety-wise, I'm I'm not convinced. I don't think there's enough exits, and it's very steep. And I saw someone tweet that yesterday as well from the from the game. Um, and behind it is just you know chipboard basically. So. You know, what's happened there? The club really haven't explained what's gone wrong there. And some organisation went bust, but, yep. you know, Everton are going to build a stadium and have it open and full before we've been able to build one. <laughs> you know, so who project managed that? Who's been in charge of that? How have they survived? You know, so it's just ridiculous. But anyway, getting back to Manu, yep. it is just, it's, it's, it's one increase or, or one game too many, I think, for a large majority of fans, even if they have a season ticket, to just turn around and say, that's ridiculous. You know, that is just just not what this club is about. And, you know, I had someone say the other day, we're no longer a family club. I think they're right. Unfortunately, I think they're right. And even maybe just six, you know, maybe seven or eight years ago, we still had that sort of fan, that touch to the fans uh, bit but now oh it's gone you know, right? yeah it's totally totally gone um the crowd the other night for the Norwich game you know I think it was 12,000 I think the prices were they were okay and so you've got people now saying look fans won't go fans won't go so my argument on that is I think a lot of fans their first taste of football is being taken by their parents yeah, or a sibling at least, but certainly the majority older folk go with their parents. And it's usually a league game, and it's usually, oh, can I go next week? Okay. League games now are almost impossible to, uh, you know, take your kid with you at a reasonable price. Right. And if, I, if, 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 if someone takes their kid to the Norwich game, it's going to, and they really enjoy it. And I tweeted something like this the other day, is I want to go to the next one. 
hey, can I go to the next one? Well, the next one is hopefully the next round will be a home game because I certainly can't take you to a league game. And you lose that, you know, the desire to go and well, the ability to go now. And and that's where we're that's where we're missing out on legacy wise is where are the new fans going to come from? Because if the worst happens, maybe not this year, but next year or whenever, and we go down and straight away you lose 25, 30 percent of the fan base. Who picks it up? You know, <laughs> who replaces those people? So so I'm hoping it looks like the FST is planning something in conjunction with a lot of other pods um, and a lot of other uh, fan groups. Um, I don't know what that's going to be. Um, it's a very difficult one. I think it's very difficult to tell people not to go. It's very difficult for, to tell people to walk out. Um, I think it. I think there should be, if you don't mind me saying, Russ, just giving you some examples of what I think could be Go done. On. So I think, for example, this, the shop possibly should be boycotted. You know, fans, regular fans should not be going in there. I would also try and make it so that we did not buy any of, use any of the kiosks, buy anything in the, in the ground. Again, that's only going to be a pinprick of money to them. Right. But it's doing something. Now, in the stands, I don't think there should be any pitch invasions. I don't think there's, you know, ver loud, verbal, but not offensive. Um, but it should be made clear we're not happy in some kind of way vocally. Other ways are, it's, it's not good for the players, but. You know, you turn around, you stand up and you turn around, you turn your backs, you know. Is it? Yeah. So I can only think it has to be during the game, vocally and visually, okay, without causing yep. too many issues. So, yeah. Honestly, Mike, I've heard things and I think that something is being planned. I Like you, I don't know what is being planned, but I think your ideas are acceptable ways to make a statement. Decent meaning, a good way to make a statement. Some kind of statement, I think, should be made. And I hope it is made, and we'll see how this all plays out. But I'm glad that we're talking about it because I'm fed up with it. I know I live in America, but it doesn't mean that I don't feel bad for everyone who goes to Craven College, all the supporters. Of course I do. I absolutely do. The one other thing that I want to mention, it's not just about the tickets for the Manchester United match. Mike, I'm glad that you brought this up. 18% seems to be across the board for season tickets. That's really high. That's extremely high. And I'll also mention one other thing that I have, have a theory on. I could be completely wrong about, but we're going to have to see all this plays out, Mike. When the Riverside stand is complete, it's not at this point. They are building up as you can see, the middle portion. Now, you can't purchase those tickets at this point. I have a feeling you're not going to be able to. I have a feeling it's part of a, a corporate club ticket. I could be wrong on this, but the New England Patriots do that. The best tickets in the house are not made available to the fans. It's part of a club. Could that be what's going on in the oh, middle yeah, of no, that Riverside yeah. stand? Yeah, so there's absolutely no doubt that the center bit uh, there 
and you could see it on the plans anyway, are going to be the premium, premium ones. So that's going to be for your sponsors. Yep. That will be, you know, see if they ever, whenever they get around to actually finishing the back of the sand with the different levels and different corporate clubs and everything else, yep. and they're already advertising some of those. Yeah, you're, you know, you're going to be looking at, you know, five, 10 grand tickets for the season to totally allow agree. entry. Yep. You know, now the club is, I, I could, we could have another show on all the stuff that the club <laughs> promised on that Riverside stand and the, the amount of work I put in uh, and others on the FST at the time when they were, you know, before it was even knocked down um, about how we were going to move people back, what the facilities were going to be available, how we were going to show history stuff and all these kind of things, which were, we had lots of discussions about and lots of promise about, which has basically all been chucked in the Thames and, um, you know, in the chase for a pound. So, uh, so yeah, it, it's, um, yeah, the Man United game, the tickets, yeah, we get, there's good press about it. There's no doubt about that. And, uh, you know, but water for ducks back to this lot, I think. Uh, they really, they really don't care. I've been in a meeting where Alistair has said, I don't care if there's no season to get holders, I'll sell every seat at a higher price. He doesn't care about season to get holders. Okay. So if they're in a position to be in a league where it's a must watch for people and tourists and whatever, yeah, he'd rather sell my 561 quid season ticket, which I paid for. Um, might use I'm using Monday, but that'd be the yeah. first time this year. Um, he'd rather sell that for the 19 games at, at 77 pound a shot. So, and you can see financially, yeah, it makes sense. But um, once you get relegated or hit bad times, who's there to pick up the pieces? It's a great point, Mike. And I've always been a thought, you know, I'm glad that we're talking about the whole Riverside stand because I think this is their grand plan that corporate money that they're hoping to get to make them competitive. That's what I always thought. I'm like, okay, maybe they have this plan. This is it that can help them be competitive in the league. That might be it, but what happens when they're relegated, Mike? I'm glad that you brought that up because all that gets flushed down the toilet. So you can't ignore the supporters that made Fulham who they are, that are part of Fulham. It, it is about the fans. So for them to do this, like you said, it's more to do with they can fill the seat and they know that that's just, to me, not a good attitude to have. But, hey, it's their club that they run, but they wouldn't have a club if it wasn't for people like yourself, Mike. And that's what frustrates me, the supporters all over the world. For them to get shafted like this, that's the part that I struggle with because I love Fulham Football Club. And I just don't like to see the supporters get treated like this, which I think is just piss poor. And I'm hoping yeah, well, that... Well, I'll just, I'll just correct you on saying there, Russ. It's not okay. their club. They're, they're the custodians. They're the custodians. The time, Sorry, Mike. I'm glad For the said. time being, it's not their club. Okay. <laughs> nope. Great. It's a great point. Well, there's a Goldman for you. They're the custodians for the club. Okay. To finish up the show, Mike, this is our big finale is this. Okay, Mike? Because the cons have owned the club for 10 years. We're talking about a lot of stuff in this show. So we're going to end here. This is, and it's a big topic. Mike, 
did Fulham improve, get worse, or stay the same since Shah Khan took ownership 10 years ago? I think this is a big question. Think about it, and then uh, please feel free to share your answer here. So when they bought the club, uh, I think we finished the season 12th, I think. And so last year we finished 10th. So, yes, technically, we're better off. Um, Ten years later, are we in better shape? Um, we're just, in many ways, we've just traded water again, as you know, yeah. compared to you know, season on season with transfers. Ten years, you know, comparison, we're just in the same place virtually. Um, we have a three quarters finished new stand. Yes, Mosford Park has been developed. We own the BBC site. There's still limited ambition going on there. Um, I was going to raise it earlier when you, you spoke about long-term plans. You know, I was at, I went to the Man City game and the complex, yeah, okay, we're talking about multi-billion billion pounds, but the complex, the whole site that it's on and, the, you know, the, the stadiums, the training grounds and, and that kind of stuff, and uh, which is what Newcastle, I believe, are looking at doing as well. Right. Um, you know, we have two good sites um, you know, in Mosford Park. And by now, having bought the BBC site, what, six years ago, probably, we should have two great training facilities, um, you know, in London, quite frankly. Um, the, the, the stadium as such, apart from the stand, apart from the Riverside stand, is very much the same, you know, yeah, maintenance here and there. But, there's still issues in, in the old stand where I used to sit. Um, the Hammersmith End facility, shall I say, uh, <laughs> leave a lot to be desired. And um, you still have the sort of issues at the Putney End with regards to away fans and, and home fans and, and that kind of stuff. Um, so is the ground better? Just the stand. Just the stand's better. Um, commercially, are we better? Yeah, I think we are. You know, I suppose we bring in more money, uh, so it's better run in that sense. But um, I think it was off air we were talking about it. Uh, you know, if you go on the website and look at Fulham's partners, um, <laughs> I think there's about 25 of them or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I do wonder if that's a little bit of overkill. Um, better to have, you know, half a dozen than... 25 26 of them um but it's every penny that's what they're trying to bring in as, yeah. as we've said already um and we've had you know over those 10 years we've had wembley twice but yeah you know the one, the one we were both at um and we've had you know we've had promotions relegations so it's been definitely a roller coaster um but i would say yeah we're just treading water still you know, just a bit better because of the facilities at Mosford Park and the stand. But uh, it's taken an awful long time to get to where we are. Um, oh. With lots of mistakes and hundreds of players signed and whatever over those 10 years. But um, yeah, we should be in a better position than we are now. Given the money that Khan has, that Khan's invested, 
yeah, we should be in a better position. See, Mike, that's my conclusion to this show and talking about 10 years later, Fulmar, the same. We've had the roller coaster, right? You were basically reading my mind because it has been a roller coaster, right? It's been a, a wonderful roller coaster, right? Like I said, I got a chance to go to Wembley. That was unbelievable. But shouldn't we be better at this point? And the question is, we're not better at this point. Like you said, there are things amongst the club that are better. Like you said, you got a new stand, Mossberg Park. But overall, they're pretty much in the same boat. And I'm thinking, and I've talked to a mutual friend of ours, Dan Crawford. I'm going to say this. Dan says, why can't we get good things, Mike? Why can't we have good things? Why does every time we get close to having good things, it gets taken away? That's what this season feels like, Mike. They had an opportunity to kick on. And Dan and I had this conversation. I hope Dan doesn't mind that I'm sharing this. But we're both looking at this. This is an opportunity, and they didn't kick on, Mike. That's why they are treading water. They are staying the same way. Yeah, I mean, it also goes back to the point we were just talking about, which is tickets and, and family club and that kind of stuff. You know, so 10 years on, we're cert certainly the relationship between the fans and the club is nowhere near as good. Right. Nowhere near as good. Um, to the point of almost broken in many ways. And uh, the disconnect there and the distance between the club and the fans is massive. And, um, you know, that is, that is down to who's running it, um, not only on a day-to-day -day basis from Mossford Park, so that's the CEO and, and everyone else involved, you know, it is Tony and it is um, Shahid Khan as well, because, you know, yep. that's ultimately, they're the ones who, who lay down what's required. So, so yes, you know, we agree with Chaney Walter. Yes, they've improved the stadium, yes, you know, Mossford Park, but um, we're in the same position. But as a club, as a an entity in, which includes fans, you know, we're, there's a lot of work to be done to get back to where we were. Totally agree, Mike. I totally agree with everything that you said throughout this show. And that's why I was really looking forward to doing this. I've been really thinking about this for a long period of time. I wanted to do this show. And because this summer coming out of it, I have really been disappointed. I, I went to Philadelphia, got to meet so many Fulham supporters, had such a good feeling with myself, feeling that Fulham are heading in the right direction. And it just didn't seem to turn out that way. Not that this season won't be fine. Like I said, it's going to be fine. I think they're going to be comfortably mid-table. But I also think that is, in some ways, as someone has said to me, comfortable mid-table is mediocre. It's, it's average. It, it's okay. Why can't we have good things? I keep going back to the Dan Crawford conversation. Why can't we have good things? Why can't we push on? I think that's my frustration. So when I look over the 10 years, I give the cons a lot of credit, okay? A ton of credit for what they put into Fulham Football Club. But I think we're ending in the same place. We're staying the same. And I don't think, as, as you mentioned, that the relationship with the fans and the club is the same. So in a ways, it's gone backwards. So do I think this is going to be a decent season? Yes, but I'm, I'm going to end the show by saying, Mike, I'm just disappointed by where we are right now, and that's why I wanted to have this show. 
Well, I mean, let me let me just come back a bit there. And yeah, it has been, you know, the state of Fulham. So it has been a little bit on the negative side, but that's that's me. <laughs> um, but you know, the positives are silver. Okay, he hasn't signed Absolutely. a contract, but we have a, we have a bloody good manager. We do have a good team. There's no doubt we have a good team. Yep. That cutting edge at the top is the issue. Um, you know, we've got a, a difficult next game in the in the cup. I think you know yep. it's not it's going to be it's going to be a hard game, but we should win. And you know, we are the Premier League team, and uh, you know we should have enough quality to get through. And if so, then we're into the is it the sixth round, um, fifth round. Um, and we're in a, you know, we've had a, an on-par start to the yep. season compared to last year. Okay, so you know, I do my stats, so we're we're pretty much bang on where we should be <laughs> if we're going to replicate last year. Um, so we're probably going to end, like I said, uh, you know, nine to eleven, maybe, yep. which is fine. Um, but that's all it is. Is fine, really, when. When you look at a couple of the teams above us, you know, you look at Brighton, everyone's, you know, Brighton are the the team to look at. For us, kind of middle-ranking sides, Brighton are the team we aspire to be at the moment. You know, a well-run, well-planned team. We can't compete with the, the I'm going to say it's the big seven now, okay? You, we can't really compete with them. Um, long may Chelsea struggle. <laughs> but um, the fact is they are the seven so you are looking at trying to get into that seventh place if you like when one of them has a bad season and then you're looking at you know eighth and ninth so if you can get to those kind of positions the best of the rest then then fair play to us and we have potential to do it but um, it's going to be bloody hard work given the fact of the squad and everything we've spoken about but you know, let's be positive and, uh, you know, it's, we're still a joy to watch at times. You know, when we're on it, it's it's really good. And we have one of the best midfielders in the country. Absolutely no doubt about that. He, whether he leaves in January, God knows. But, uh, you know, just enjoy him while you've got him. Um, but can I just go back a little, can I just mention that though? Can I just mention Pliny? Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Please feel free, Mike. I cannot believe that is the fee we would have agreed to sell him. Or was it 56, 65? That's I mean, what's being reported. You see in all these players. I mean, who agreed that deal? Who the agreed that? I couldn't believe it. So no way should he have left for that kind of price, even if he was going to leave. But anyway, yep. enjoy him while we've got him because he is absolutely top class. Totally agree, Mike. And uh, I think that's also something that has soured me on this upcoming run for Fulham is that uh, he might leave. But like you said, I'm glad that you mentioned that. Uh, just enjoy him while you have him. He's one of the best players I've seen put on a Fulham shirt. And uh, that whole thing at the end of the transfer window, I don't think I'll ever forget. But, you know, and what's interesting about this, doing the show with you, Mike, you probably weren't expecting me to be so negative. I was... For me, I'm being very negative, but I am a positive person. I love Fulham Football Club, and I think what you're listening to from me tonight 
is just a frustration, just a disappointment. That's where it's coming from. It's all love. I love the club. I just want what's best for the club and what's best for the supporters. And that's what you've heard from me. And I'm sure that's what you've heard from Mike. It's it's a passion and a love that we have for Foam Football Club. It's not anything to be like mean spirit against anyone. We just love Foam Football Club and we're just telling it like it is. My father would always say, hey, tell it like it is. I think we did that on this show, Mike. Thank you so much for joining me. We went very long. We probably could have gone another hour, Mike. Oh, I've really enjoyed it, Russ. And uh, um, um, no mention of the Ryder Cup either. <laughs> no, I'm, we're not talking about Ryder Cup, Mike. We're not talking about Ryder Cup. Let's move no, on. No, I really enjoyed it and uh, hopefully uh, get a chance to do it again soon, Russ. I hope so, Mike. I've really missed having you on the show and talking to you, so I definitely want to get you back soon. Well, let's wrap this up. For Mike Gregg, I'm Russ Goldman. Thank you as always for watching and listening to the Cottage Talk, part of the TalkSport Fan Network. It's the 90th minute and all to play for at the end of the match. All your mates are around. You've got your McDougat share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? I know I'm in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport, powered by fans.